Father, we ask that as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and that you would speak to us and that you would make us attentive to your voice. God, we need a word from you in our lives. We are surrounded by a cacophony of voices that confuse us and that frighten us and that make us want to buy more stuff and that want, make us want to numb our pain. And God, we pray that you would break through it all and that you would speak and that we would hear a word of encouragement and hope from the gospel today. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So I, I think one of the most... Uh, powerful things about the ministry of Grief Share that you heard about. And one of the things that I think makes it one of the most effective and powerful ministries we have as a church is that Grief Share creates a space for people to open up their lives and to be vulnerable and to be honest and to be real about deep pain they're going through. And you know as well as I do that real change in your life occurs in the space of vulnerability and openness where you are actually able to be honest about your own pain or heartache or guilt or shame or anger or loss or any other thing that you may be walking through. That one of the keys to actually coming out of those dark valleys is to create spaces where you can feel safe to be open and honest and real with other people. And what I want to talk to you about today is about the power that comes from our lives when we actually open ourselves up and we're vulnerable and we're honest and we're real with other people about our own hurt and struggle and pain. Or let me put it like this. We have been in this series called A Meaningful Life. And we have been talking together about how the way we enter into a life of fullness and joy and purpose is by giving ourselves away for the sake of other people. Jesus put it like this. He said, the way you find your life is to lose it for my sake and for the gospel. In other words, when you give your life away in sacrificial and loving service for other people for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom, you actually enter into a life that is worth living. And so we've asked, well, how do you know what role God wants you to play in this great work of giving your life away for the sake of others? And in our first week, we said, uh, well, what bothers you? You know, what is that thing that you just can't stand? You know, what is the Popeye moment in your life where you say, it's all I can stand and I can't stand it no more? And it may be if, you are, if you're attentive to those things that bother you, that may indicate where God may be calling you to get involved in your own life and sacrifice and service. And then on our second week, we said, uh, it's not only the question, what bothers you, but the second question we asked last week is, what's in your lunchbox? You know, what do you have? What has God given you? What are the resources? What are the gifts? What are the strengths? What are the talents that God has given you? Attend to those things. God wants to leverage those things that he's given you in order to bless and serve and benefit and build up others. But today, what I want us to consider is not the question, what bothers you? Or the question, what do you have? But today, I want to ask the question, what is your pain? And what I want you to consider is that the greatest resource you may have to make a difference in the life of other people for Jesus and his kingdom, the best resource you may have is your own story of pain. And so I want us to unpack and explore that idea 
together. And I want to do that by um, looking together actually at the book of Psalms. And so, you know, many times in our uh, time together, we dive into a text of scripture, a single passage, a single chapter. We kind of unpack that and, and explain what it means. But today what we want to do is just kind of do an overview of the book of Psalms because I think it's here that we discover uh, maybe, maybe the place in scripture where we are encouraged the most to be open and honest and, and, and real about our own pain and loss and darkness in our own hearts and lives because by doing so, we can actually help and benefit other people. And so here's what we're going to do is we are going to do a broad brush overview of the book of Psalms. That sounds like a little too much, doesn't it? There's only 150 chapters. We're going to walk through each one verse by verse. No. What I want to do is actually, we're going to be out of here about 12.30 today. Um, we locked the doors. Thank you. Actually, there goes my daughter. My daughter just left. Um, she knows where this is going. Now, what I want to do, though, is share with you a frame for understanding the book of Psalms. And then I want to stand back and uh, I want to apply that frame to our lives and show you how this frame instructs us really to be open and honest with others about our own pain, because by doing so, we can actually help and serve and bless them. And so let's begin by talking about a frame for understanding the book of Psalms. So about 25 years ago, I came across a scholar whose name was Walter Brueggemann. Uh, he's an Old Testament scholar, and he's written a bunch of stuff about the book of Psalms. And he laid down a framework for understanding the Psalms that has never left me and has borne so much fruit in both how I understand the book of Psalms as well as how I understand my own spiritual journey, which is seen in the book of Psalms. And so I want to share that frame with you. And he essentially says this. He says that the book of Psalms could be broken down into three main sections. He says there are uh, Psalms that you could say are Psalms of orientation, and then there's another catalog of psalms that are psalms of disorientation. And then a third category, there are psalms of new orientation. Now, this first catalog, the psalms of orientation, are psalms of praise. And they are God-centered. And they express praise and delight and joy and confidence in the goodness of God and the good that comes from a life of following God. And so, for example, in Psalm 8, the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Or Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Or Psalm 104, these all look to you to give them their food in their due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Or Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting, and it's fitting, why? Because God is so majestic and beautiful and good and faithful, and he is so steadfast in his love, and he is so immense in his power. We cannot help but praise God, amen? And so there are these songs of orientation that reflect upon the goodness of God and the stability and the coherence and the beauty of the world that God created. And then there are wisdom psalms as a part of these psalms of orientation that reflect upon how when you follow in the ways of God, the good and wise way of the Lord, life goes well for you. 
And so, for example, in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And what will come of the person who loves and delights in and meditates upon God's law? Well, they will be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, whose leaves do not wither. Uh, They bear fruit in their season. They become this fruitful, productive tree. And, And the psalmist is celebrating God and the life with God and how good things go. And so number one, there are these psalms of orientation. But secondly, there's a second category of psalms, the psalms of disorientation. And if psalms of orientation celebrate the coherence and the goodness and the stability and the beauty of God's world and how good it is to follow God, psalms of disorientation are raw and unfiltered expressions of anguish and grief when it seems like life is incoherent, life is not beautiful, and things have not gone well for the people who want to follow God. There's a whole catalog of psalms called the Psalms of Lament. Almost a third of the psalms in the, in the Psalter are these psalms of lament, these cries of pain and anguish, really reflecting on, on, on darkness in, in, in the, the, the harsh realities of human experience. And the psalmist knows that these dark realities must be voiced in the presence of God. And so, for example, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Or Psalm 38, oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has come down upon me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, and there is no health in my bones because of my own sin. Here the psalmist, it seems, is reflecting on this physical hardship and reality that he's going through, and he must think it's because he's done something wrong. My wounds stink and fester because of my own foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult in my heart. Or Psalm 13, reflecting on the absence of God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Or these psalms where where the psalmist is just filled with white hot rage about the injustice around them, how they're being treated, and they cry out things like this, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Ever prayed that prayer over your boss? I hope none of our staff has. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn that never sees the sun. You know, people read words like this and they wonder, well, should Christians really be praying these words? Should we be following in the example of the psalmist? The point is the psalmist is not giving us a model of how to pray. The psalmist is opening up their heart and they're saying, here is what's inside. 
And I can't help but speak the truth about what's really going on inside of me. And so there are these psalms of disorientation where it seems like the bottom has fallen out and life is just falling apart and it's incoherent. You don't know what's going along and you just feel the absence and the hiddenness of God. God, where are you? And then thirdly, there are psalms of new orientation. And these are psalms that come out of a response to the surprising, gracious intrusion of God into the darkness where God takes us out of the pit and the psalmist testifies to God's power to save and heal and deliver. And this is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and he made my footsteps firm and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God, or Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing and you have loosened my sackcloth and you have clothed me with gladness. And here the psalmist is not celebrating that God brought them back to the original state of orientation. No, this is praise and thanksgiving to God after the harsh realities of human experience. Nonetheless, they didn't give up on their faith and they came out the other side and God brought them to a new place with a faith that has been now tried and refined by fire. And so there are these three types of psalms in the Psalter. There are psalms of orientation, there are psalms of disorientation, and there are psalms of new orientation. Now, these three types of psalms reflect really three places we can find ourselves in our own experience, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you can find yourself in a space of orientation where your faith is innocent and naive, And you just feel like, hey, I'm going to be happy all the day. I'm following the way of God. I pray. I read my Bible. Uh, I have maintained my purity. I have sought God. I have waited on the Lord. And God will always take care of me. And you celebrate the goodness of God. You praise God for his mercy and his loving kindness and, and, and for how good everything is in the world. And sometimes life just feels like that, doesn't it? You are just experiencing the goodness of life. But then there are those other seasons in our life, isn't there? Those seasons of disorientation. Can you see it as the pulpit in the way? Where you get laid flat on your back. The marriage falls apart. You lose the job. Your finances implode. It seems like you exist still in a marriage, but it's just full of coldness and harshness, and it just feels grating and painful. Or you've got a kid that's run off from the Lord and is is being destructive in their own life. And you're thinking, God, what happened? I did it right, didn't I? Have I done something wrong? Or you're experiencing physical pain or maybe emotional pain or maybe sexual disorientation. You know, you're you're, you're experiencing same-sex attraction or, or gender dysphoria. And you're thinking this, why am I experiencing this? Or, 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 or you're, you're stuck in some addictive pattern or behavior or any number of things where it just seems like life was going well, but now everything has fallen apart and you just feel disoriented. You don't know which way is up. We find ourselves in in places of disorientation. But then sometimes we find ourselves in places of new orientation. 
where God in the midst of the darkness breaks in with the light and where he raises us up out of the pit, the miry clay. And yeah, when you were in that disorientation, you were asking questions and you were full of doubts and you were experiencing despair and maybe you were depressed and it was darkness, but you had this, you did not let go. You kept bringing it before God. And then God breaks in and God finally brings you out. But the place he takes you after the harsh realities of experience, it's not the same place you were at before. You can't return to that same naive, innocent faith where you thought everything in the world was honky-dory and all working out well. No, this is now a faith that has been tried through the fires of experience and suffering and darkness. One of my favorite theologians, David Bentley Hart, put it like this. He said, wisdom is the recovery of innocence at the far end of experience. In other words, wisdom is that faith that you hold on to that is tried by the fire of experience. And yes, you've seen the harsh realities of life, but you have come out and you said, where else can I go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. And this journey from orientation to disorientation to new orientation, it's, it's all through the scriptures. You see it, for example, in the life of Joseph, you know, with the coat of many colors. I showed you some of my artwork earlier, so now I just put some, some other good artwork up. That was funny, wasn't it? John, you didn't think that was funny. No, no, it was okay. Um, Joseph with his dream and his coat of many colors and his favored status. And he innocently and naively just told his family, look, you all are gonna bow down and worship me one day. He, was, he thought it was a great idea. And then what happened? He was beat up by experience. His brothers beat him up. They threw him in a pit. He was sold into slavery. He was put in prison and he was in the pit of the pits. And yet God drew him out of the darkness and exalted him. And of course, there was King David who began with the defiant confidence against that uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of God. And he said, oh yeah, God will take you down. And God did. And David celebrated the victory. God was good. He provides for his people. And then David was beat up by the harsh realities of experience. Some of the darkness was brought on by his own stupidity, his own sin, his own shameful behavior. And yet he came out of that at the end of his life with a song of praise to God. In Psalm 18, he gives God thanks. He says, blessed be God, the rock of my salvation. God took him out and put him on the other side. And of course, this is also the story of Jesus. He begins his ministry out the gates, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out the demons, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God among us. And then Jesus was taken and he was beaten and he was forsaken and he was betrayed and he was stripped naked and he was shamefully crucified. He entered into disorientation. But then three days later, God raised him from the dead and brought him to a new place, exalted at the Father's right hand. And so these are three stages we can find ourselves in our own spiritual journey. These are three 
types of songs we find all throughout the catalog of Israel's prayers in her hymn book in the book of Psalms. But these are not just places we can find ourselves. Walter Brueggemann suggests, and I think this is true to the biblical narrative, uh, this is also a dynamic that we find is kind of always going on in our spiritual lives. And Walter Brueggemann suggests that we, we, we almost always find ourselves either moving from a place of orientation to disorientation or moving from disorientation to a place of new orientation. You know, we're, we're oftentimes being confronted again with a new set of fresh and harsh realities in our life. You thought, oh, I went through everything that was going to go bad in 2020. And then 2021 comes and you had no idea what was coming. And you're disoriented again. But then there's God breaking in and bringing new life and, and, and bringing light where there was darkness and bringing you into places of deeper and more tried and tested faith. And so this is a dynamic we find in our own lives. But here's the thing. Almost always, you are going to be threatened by or experiencing disorientation from the harsh realities of life. Can I get a witness to that? Now, we don't usually like to go to these psalms of disorientation in church. It doesn't sound all that good to put a nice, good beat next to it and go, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm sorry, that was terrible, but you know. um. The church in America likes to sing happy songs that go along with our own picture of American versions of success, going from strength to strength, going from victory to victory. And those are the songs we like to sing are the happy songs. But this dark catalog of songs exists in the church's prayer book because these are very real places people of faith find themselves all the time. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. You are in a state of disorientation. And here's what I want you to say. I want to kind of tie back to the original statement that I made in the beginning that perhaps maybe the best thing, the the most important resource you have to give to help others walk with Jesus, the most important significant resource you have to participate in the mission of Jesus, it might be your own story of pain and darkness. And so I want to invite you to do three things in closing, just kind of by way of application, in order to actually use your pain to benefit others. We learned three things, I think, from the Psalms about what to do with our darkness and pain and how it can actually be a benefit to others. Number one, if your pain is going to benefit and serve others, then number one, you need to voice your pain. Now, preeminently, first and foremost in the Psalms, pain is voiced in the presence of God. Nothing is out of bounds for your prayer life with God. God knows what's going on in your life already anyway. You cannot fool God. You you don't need to pretend with God. He doesn't want your false self. God wants your true and your honest self. So bring your hurt and your pain and your guilt and your shame and your conflicted, twisted desires and your depression and your darkness and your hatred and your anger and your rage. Bring it all and open it up before the presence of God. 
But I want you to see the Psalter doesn't just teach us to voice our pain in the presence of God. The Psalter teaches us to voice our pain in the presence of the Christian community. It's interesting, these Psalms, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 38, Psalm 44, Psalm 88, these do not come to us from somebody's personal and private prayer journal. These come to us from the hymnal of the church. These have always been the songs that have been brought into the community. In other words, when Asaph or He-Man, that was another one of the psalmists, don't think she ran He-Man, this is a different He-Man. I'm trying, this is a little bit of a heavy sermon, I'm trying to lighten it up every now and again, you gotta help me out. It's not working. John, you're gonna help, help me out with the next service, just, yeah. But... These are real individuals who lived real lives and who brought their own pain and voiced it in the presence of other people. And is that not why Grief Share or Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Al-Anon or whatever is so powerful is because people are in community voicing their pain. And all of us need to be in a community of people who voice the honest darkness inside of them because we all need to know that we're not alone. You're not alone in your pain. You are surrounded by a community of people who know that same darkness. And we don't always show it. Oftentimes we pretend and we hide and we put a facade upon our lives when we come into this place. But that's not the truth that is actually the case about most of our lives all of the time. Most of us have darkness that needs to be voiced Some have thought it was a Freudian insight that it's our secrets that make us sick. It is hidden darkness, hidden sin, hidden shame that actually causes all kinds of maladies in our life. But long before Freud made that insight, Psalm, Psalm 32, David said, when I was silent, I grew sick inside. My bones grew old. But when I opened up, when I spoke my truth, when I brought it, that, w- that which was in the darkness into the light, all of a sudden I could know healing and grace and forgiveness. So number one, if you are going to be a benefit to others with your own story of shame and darkness and guilt and, and hurt and enslavement and addiction or whatever, you have to voice your pain. We have got to be an honest church. We've got to speak truth about what's going on in our lives. We cannot hide from each other. Our lives need the truth of others. You need to know you are not alone. So number one, you need to voice your pain, but number two, you need to share your story. Share your story of how God brought you from the darkness into the light. In other words, testify. If God has provided for you, if God has delivered you, if God has broken into your life, I'm not asking, has God made your life perfect? He hasn't made any of our lives perfect yet. But has he brought you from darkness to light at different stages in your life? Has he broken some chains? Has he turned some mourning into dancing? And if he has, open up and share that story, testify. Speak the truth about what God has done in your life. 
You know, we need more stories of how God has broken in and how God has changed us and how, how, how God has, has, has taken us out of this. I had this marriage, it was falling apart and God brought me into another place. And sometimes we're afraid to say that because we don't want to expose just how dark and how ugly things were. You know, those Psalms of new orientation, the very reason why they're in the Psalter, it's to testify. It's to tell people who are in the place of disorientation, disorientation is not the final word spoken over your life. The darkness does not win. The enslavement will not last forever. The, the mourning, the depression, the darkness, it will one day be broken. You can be taken out of that. And when we share our story, we give people hope and we all need hope, amen? So number one, voice your pain. Number two, share your story. But number three, look to Jesus. It is so helpful to know when you are wrestling with the shame of a job loss, you feel like you lost your identity or a prodigal kid who's gone off and, and you feel embarrassed of what's happening in their life and they're way off the deep end now and, and, and you, you don't even want other people to know what's going on in their life because it's humiliating to you. Or your marriage has gone so bad or maybe it's bad because of the adultery or because of the porn addiction or because of, of, of the alcohol problem or because of the rage and anger issues that you have. And, and, and you know, what we need in those places is somebody who, who has entered in and who can walk beside us and who knows what we're going through, who struggled alongside of us. And here's the good news of Christianity. This is the staggering, the stunning reality of the gospel is that God in Christ took on flesh and walked among us to walk by our side in the darkness. And in the same way, maybe the best thing you have to offer somebody is not all of your strengths and all of your gifts and your talents and your resources. It is your story of pain. It's the darkness you walk through. Man, on a lot of days, the best thing that God has to offer us is the fact that he entered into the darkness with us. He knows betrayal and loss. He knows what it means to be forsaken. He knows utter shame. He knows bodily and physical pain. He knows what it feels like to, to pray and feel like your prayers are not being answered, to cry out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows about all of that. And he is a merciful and a faithful high priest who can sympathize with us because he has walked where we have walked and he is with us and he is for us and he is never against us. And he has come alongside of us to carry us out of our pit and to take us with him into resurrection. You know, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who called the book of Psalms the prayer book of Jesus Christ, for he said, for here the praying Christ meets us. Because the voice of lament that we hear in the Psalms is nothing other than the voice of of the crucified one who entered into disorientation and God forsakenness so that ultimately he might take us with him into resurrection. 
this time I want to invite our band up. We're going to close out our service today by sharing in the Lord's Supper. When you walked in, you should have received a little uh, thimble of juice with a little cracker. If you didn't receive that and you'd like the Lord's Supper uh, passed out to you, would you just lift up your hand and uh, Kathy over here will bring it to you. It's in these physical, tangible elements that we receive. That week by week, when we come back to this practice, we discover afresh that the God we serve is not a God who stands at a distance and watches us from a distance. He is not the God of the philosophers. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ who took on flesh and blood among us, who became physical and tangible so that he might be with us and forever for us. So as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, let's pray together. The band's gonna sing a song and then I'll come back up and I will lead us in partaking together. So during this song, why don't you go ahead and get your elements ready but let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you that indeed you are good and you are just and you are full of love. You are our creator. You made this world full of coherence and beauty and stability and we praise you for that. And God, we thank you that when we, by our sin, disturbed the shalom that you will for creation, that you didn't leave us in a fractured, broken world. You didn't leave us to our fractured, broken hearts, but you came after us in Jesus. You came among us and you bore our sin and you bore our shame. And you brought all the darkness to an end. We pray, God, that even as we share in this practice, God, we pray that you would embolden us to be courageous people who can speak truth about our true selves because we know that we are utterly and completely loved by you. Give us strength as we partake in these elements that point to your incarnation Give us the strength to go out and to incarnate your love among others by speaking truth, by living honestly before them. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.